Welcome into another episode of Behind the Catch Fence. I'm your host, David Hoffman, coming to you live from, of course, Biglerville, Pennsylvania, in the Man Cave. It's unfortunately the last episode that'll be in the Man Cave for the IndyCar season, because uh, this next Friday I will be heading back to Liberty University. So the Pocono recap and everything else uh, episode-wise for IndyCar will be held at Liberty University, so that'll be fun. A little bit of a change, but hey, it's about time to go back to school, learn more about some sports broadcasting, and uh, continue to uh, learn how to live on my own, which I think I did pretty well last last uh, semester or two. Before I begin, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to No Copyright Music on YouTube. They're the ones creating the music that I'm playing. It's obviously No Copyright Music, so it's free. I'd like to thank you guys for that. With me being a broke college student, I'm grateful for you guys. Go subscribe to them, No Copyright Music. This episode is long overdue, obviously. Uh, This episode will include the Mid-Ohio race, which was, dang, almost two weeks ago. It's been a little busy around here with uh, trying to get ready for school, trying to go to work almost every single day of the past two weeks. That's been a little bit annoying, but hey, officially done at Gettysburg College doing conference services, which, yeah, it's a little weird. We gotta lift furniture, all this other fun garbage, so... Not exactly the way you want to spend your entire summer, but hey, I can't complain. I got to start this podcast, it's going to continue on to Liberty University, y'all. But in today's episode, I will, as I mentioned before, go over Mid-Ohio a little bit, give you my winners and losers from Mid-Ohio Race Weekend, I'll give you some stories because I was there for the entire weekend, uh, some interesting stories, some interesting people I got to meet. Unfortunately, there will not be any segment of Shut Your Fuel Cell, Dumbest Twitter Comments of the Week. It's because there is just a little bit of news that has broken over the past week and a half with uh, McLaren and Aeroschmidt-Peterson Motorsports, uh, new rule changes for 2022, hybrid engines, that'll be interesting to talk about, and Silly Season is officially upon us, which if you don't know what Silly Season is, it's basically when everybody's trying to figure out what, where drivers are going, you know, who are they switching teams with, all that other good stuff, so it's going to be a fun episode to say the least. And with that, let's get right into it with the Mid-Ohio slightly altered race recap. Since obviously if you haven't seen the Honda Indy 200 at Mid-Ohio, you've just been sleeping under a rock. So as most of you know, Scott Dixon outdueled teammate Felix Rosenquist and notched his 46th career victory. Only six races behind Mario Andretti on the all-time wins list. Overall, it was an exciting race. It had a lot of strategy involved. It involved, you know, the two-stop versus three-stop strategy, which two-stop strategy ended up prevailing in the end, but just barely. Because according to multiple sources, the race was the closest road course finish in IndyCar history. Awesome for the sport, especially with it being televised on NBC, national television. Overall, it was just great racing, and you can't top it. I've mentioned it so many times. It's just pure racing, and it is by far the best motorsport in the world right now. And you're definitely not going to be able to change my mind, period. But as we look back at the results from Mid-Ohio, Scott Dixon was your winner, followed by rookie teammate Felix Rosenquist, Ryan hunter Ray finishing out the podium, Will Power 4th, Alexander Rossi 5th, Simon Pagano 6th, Spencer Piggott 7th, rookie Colton Herta 8th, Graham Ray Hall 9th, and Jack Harvey winding out the top 10. And now as I look down the standings after Mid-Ohio, Joseph Newgarden maintains his points lead, but only by 16 points over Alexander Rossi, followed by Simon Pagano, 47 points behind, 
And then Scott Dixon, 62 points behind in fourth. And then Will Power in fifth, 148 points behind. And then Ryan hunter follows Power in sixth. Takuma Sato drops to seventh in points. Graham Ray Hall, eighth. Felix Rosenquist, ninth. And James Hinchcliffe, tenth. Now it's time for your winners and losers of the week. The only reason you guys even listen, just to hear my ranting on random drivers and bashing on Felix Rosenquist, which, mind you, I will not be doing today. Just saying. So, let's start off with winner number three, Spencer Piggott for Red Carpenter Racing. Coming into mid-Ohio, Piggott had a season-best fifth-place finish at Iowa, and he was looking to continue that momentum. Piggott ran exceptionally well all weekend, and he found himself near the top of the speed charts in every single practice session. Avoiding an incident on the first lap vaulted Piggott up the running order to 11th from his 13th place starting spot, and he would only move up from there. Piggott and his in-carpenter racing team would decide to go with a three-stop strategy, and he would find himself crossing the finish line in 7th, his second top 10 finish in a row. I mentioned it in the last episode, and I still firmly believe that, with more experience and luck on his side, Piggott will begin to see better results and consistency. These past two weeks, Piggott has been consistently fast in practice, and the results are beginning to show for it. I'd watch for Piggott to be a dark horse in the next couple races to steal a win. Winner number two, Felix Rosenquist for Chip Ganassi Racing. The man who seemingly is always destined to be on the loser's list has found himself on the winner's list two out of the last three races. That's a shocker of anything, and I'm glad I can just keep on putting him on this winner's list because I love to see guys who struggle start a part of the season start to do well. Rosenquist's performance at Mid-Ohio was absolutely phenomenal from start to finish. Starting from 6th, the Swedish madman methodically worked his way up the running order, and by lap 27, he was the leader. It then became a fight for what strategy would prevail, the two-stop or three-stop strategy. Rosenquist would be in a dogfight with Will Power and Scott Dixon for the majority of the race, gaining more and more experience being out front. With seven laps to go, Rosenquist would catch the tail end of a couple lap cars, who Scott Dixon just happened to be struggling to maneuver around. Lap cars would fail to make things easy for both drivers, and it would take all the way up until two laps to go for Dixon and Rosenquist to clear the traffic. Rosenquist would race Dixon hard but clean, as any good teammate could, and unfortunately he would come up just short of his first career win. To me, this was Rosenquist's show-me-what-you're-made-of race. To this point, he had shown flashes of great speed and skill, but the consistency just wasn't there. Bad luck and bad mistakes would cost Rosenquist from great finishes in previous races. At Mid-Ohio, it was the first time he looked extremely competitive and showed enough confidence to contend with the leaders. One thing that stood out to me the most was how well he raced Will Power and Alexander Rossi. Those three were contending for podium positions for the large part of the race, and Rosenquist was able to outrace some of the best in the business at a difficult place to pass like Mid-Ohio. Nobody really knows what his future is at Chip Ganassi Racing yet, and it is crucial that Rosenquist runs well these last four races. If he's able to show consistency and maybe even a notch a win, I won't be surprised if a long-term contract is reached with Chip Ganassi Racing sooner rather than later. That's definitely a big turnaround for Felix Rosenquist. I remember at some point during the season I had said, you know, I'd probably be that guy that shows up to the racetrack and gives him a poop emoji, you know, sticker or something with the behind the catch fence logo on it. But hey, times changed and man, it has been wild for Felix Rosenquist so far this season. Moving on to winner number one, drumroll please. Scott Dixon, the Iceman. Looking at the weekend overall, the driver that gained the most out of the entire weekend in terms of momentum and points was Scott Dixon. 
After a lackluster qualifying effort from his standards, Dixon would have to roll off from the 8th position. From there, Dixon was able to use the two-stop strategy to his advantage, having more clean air for longer periods of time, and he would notch his 6th career victory at Mid-Ohio. In terms of points, Dixon cut a whopping 30-plus points in the championship battle, and now finds himself 62 points behind current leader Joseph Newgarden. In the last three races, Dixon has an average finish of 1.6. With everyone talking about a New Garden versus Rossi battle for the championship, Dixon has inched closer to joining that hunt week by week. Go back to the 2015 championship battle at Sonoma. Dixon went into the race third in points, 47 points back. Nobody really expected him to come out on top. However, due to double points and great strategy, Dixon came out as the winner of the race and the championship in a tiebreaker versus Juan Pablo Montoya. You can never count Scott Dixon out, and if he continues to run well as he has these past couple weeks, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he goes into the finale at Laguna Seca with a great chance to notch a sixth championship. And a little side note before I move on to our losers of uh, mid-Ohio. Speaking of Juan Pablo Montoya, man, I haven't talked about him forever, like, or even thought about him, but a little side note. I remember back in 2016, uh, during the Watkins Glen weekend, it happened to be my first IndyCar race, so... The guys that I knew pretty well were, you know, the the Tony Kanaan, Scott Dixon's, uh, Elio Castaneda's, and obviously Juan Pablo Montoya, since I was a huge NASCAR fan for a while, and Montoya ran in NASCAR for Chip Ganassi Racing for a long time. So before my dad and I even knew about how, uh, you know, the autograph sessions work, so you have to go in one line, and you have to commit to that line, and that those are the drivers that you'll get an autograph from. My dad and I had no idea about that, so after we had gone through the first line, we're like, oh, we're just going to hop in because, you know, nobody's really in front of Montoya, so we're just, because he was happened to be on the end of their, of the other line for an autograph. So my dad and I just kind of hop into that line quickly when Montoya was on his phone, and Montoya didn't even realize what we had done. So he had signed the helmet for me, and then in his Colombian accent, he's like, wait, you are not in this line or something like that, and he's like, he's like, get out of here, get out of my face or something, <laughs> and, uh... So then these guards came and got us, and it's like, come on, man, you had to rat us out. And the funny thing is, later on during the weekend, I think it ended up being Saturday then, you know, I was standing there for an autograph from Montoya. I think I was going to get my ticket signed because he happened to be signing for people. He kind of looked at me, and then looked down at my uh, ticket, and then looked back up at me and kind of skipped over me. I'm like, bro, what are you doing? Come on, man. So Montoya basically held a grudge on me, and <laughs> so that was kind of interesting. Never forgave him for that, but, you know, maybe if I meet him at an IMSA race in the next couple of years, then maybe he'll forget about me and just uh, forgive me just because his, you know, he's starting to get a little bit older, starting to forget things. You never know. I mean, I've grown a little bit more handsome, I'd say. I mean, <laughs> that, that might just be me. But anyway, let's go to the loser list before I get off the topic too much. Loser number three, Takuma Sato for Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing. If you've had to find a driver that's had bad luck the most these past couple weeks, Takuma Sato is at the top of that list. Running 5th in Toronto, an electrical failure would end his day. Then in Iowa, running as high as 2nd, Sato would get involved in a crash. Now looking at this past race at Mid-Ohio, Sato would stuff his Honda down into Turn 4 and end up getting tangled with the Aero SPM boys in Marcus Erickson and James Hinchcliffe on lap 1. Sato would have to pit and he would never be able to recover due to lack of cautions. A disappointing 19th place finish would continue his streak of bad luck. I still firmly believe this, and if it wasn't for bad luck, Sato would easily be in the championship hunt. Despite all of that, there's definitely a reason to be optimistic for the rest of the 2019 season for Sato. 
He always seems to run well at Pocono, and let's not forget that he also won in Portland last season. And a little side note with uh, Sato at Pocono, back in 2017 when he got in that pole, that was probably the most intense run for a pole I've ever seen in IndyCar. They had the onboard camera, NBC did, they had the onboard camera of Sato just flying around Pocono on the absolute edge. You could tell he was barely hanging on. The, the announcers were like, oh my gosh, he's going to lose this thing. And he somehow went by two laps, completed them, got the pole. It was the no attack, no chance motto that you're like, oh yeah, yep, that's that he is true to his motto. So do not count out Takuma Sato for Pocono or Portland or even Laguna Seca. Nobody really knows who's going to be competitive or not at Laguna Seca since it's a new racetrack for them on the 2019 schedule. Moving on to loser number two, James Hinchcliffe for Aero Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports. An up-and-down season for the mayor of Hinchtown looked to be turning the corner going into mid-Ohio with three consecutive top ten finishes and a season-high third-place finish in Iowa. Hinchcliffe had phenomenal speed all weekend, and whispers around the paddock tabbed Hinch as a potential favorite going into Sunday's race. However, due to a slight miss in qualifying with the race car, Hinchcliffe would be starting mid-pack in 11th. His day would quickly crash and burn as he would get taken out of contention by Takuma Sato and fellow teammate Marcus Erickson. Hinchcliffe would wind up having to ride around the racetrack for 95% of the race and he would end up 22nd. If it's any consolation prize, Hinchcliffe did set the fastest lap of the race on lap 79. With so many moving parts with McLaren joining Aero SPM as well as the anticipation of changing engine manufacturers to Chevrolet, I'm not sure how the rest of the season will play out for both Aero Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport cars. I feel like it'll end up being a distraction for the entire team the rest of the season. And with Hinchcliffe having a lot of big-time decisions to make in the next couple months in terms of his future, unfortunately, I don't think a win is feasible for the mayor of Hinchtown with four races left in the season. Moving on to loser number one, Joseph Newgarden for Team Penske. The championship leader's goal going into mid-Ohio was simple. Have a clean race and pad the points lead. Up until the final lap, Newgarden had accomplished that goal to perfection. However, while running a solid fourth, Newgarden made a costly mistake that completely opened up the championship battle. Going into turn two, Newgarden would dive bomb under Ryan Hunteray, and then they would make contact, and that would leave Newgarden spinning into the gravel trap. Newgarden would fall from fourth to fourteenth on the final lap, losing valuable points in the championship. Newgarden has grown a reputation for driving clean, smart, and consistent since joining Team Penske, but the move he made on the final lap at Mid-Ohio was a desperation move that didn't need to happen. That one move completely changed the championship landscape. If Newgarden ends up losing the championship battle between now and the finale, the move in Mid-Ohio will be a glaring in his head going into the offseason. And now moving on to a packed list of news, I'll start off with big changes coming in 2022. A single-source hybrid system will be introduced on all cars for 2022. So here's a little rundown of what that all means in IndyCar. The system will work with Chevy and Honda's internal combustion engines to produce 900-plus horsepower. And currently, the horsepower is between 550 to 700 horsepower right now. So almost 200-plus horsepower is being added. And also, the system will allow drivers to start cars from the inside of the cockpit, because right now it has to be started from the rear of the car using a handheld electric starter system. The debut of the new engine formula was pushed from 2021 to 2022, so it would be realigned and with the arrival of the next-gen chassis. My personal thoughts on this uh, new hybrid change, 
I absolutely love this move by IndyCar. The fans and the drivers have been wanting more horsepower, and what does IndyCar do but add 200 plus horsepower to an already ferocious, roaring beast of a car? Needless to say, speed records will be broken at each and every racetrack. Staying with the speed aspect of things, I'm really intrigued to see what kind of speed the drivers will be turning in at Indianapolis and Texas. The already top speeds at about 238 miles per hour down the back straightaway at Indianapolis. I can't even imagine what adding 200 plus horsepower will do in terms of straightaway speeds. It's beyond exciting to think about, but it also makes it even more dangerous than it's ever been. But the thing that reassures me at least is the fact that how supportive and stoked the drivers are about the added horsepower. Drivers are just a different breed, and they crave for the thrill of the speed, regardless of the dangers. On the flip side, when it comes to a new hybrid engines, it's an all-around great move. Yes, I know you gearhead-loving purists probably despise of anything even remotely going to hybrid or electric. I get it, but it was a move that had to be made if IndyCar wants to lure a third manufacturer to be in the sport. A third manufacturer ramps up everything and continues to help get IndyCar just a little bit closer to getting back to where they once were over 20 years ago. A little bit of scheduling news, motorsport reporter Adam Stern reported this past week that IndyCar is in advance talks with Richmond Raceway about bringing IndyCar back to Virginia in 2020. A deal should be reached barring any unforeseen hiccups. Richmond replacing Pocono on the schedule is also a possibility, but IndyCar and Pocono have publicly said that they are still in talks with keeping the race. I really hope this deal gets done as soon as possible because another D-shaped, you know, short oval for IndyCar is what they need. And, you know, I, I don't want to see Pocono go. The best case scenario is Pocono stays on for a couple more years and Richmond comes along and, you know, they become a race earlier in the season. Because that just brings way more hype and way more exciting battles to the IndyCar circuit. And I cannot wait to see Richmond and IndyCar back together again. In other news, Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing is closing in on a third car for 2020. Bobby Ray Hall, the team owner, said, in quote, What I can tell you is that I think we're probably the closest we've ever been to having the funding for a third car. The team is looking to get a younger driver to be the third full-time entry for the team with the Kumasato 42 and Graham Ray Hall 30 not getting any younger. And then time for the big news that everyone's talking about in the IndyCar world right now. McLaren confirmed on Friday that it will field a full-time entry in the NTT IndyCar Series in 2020. The team will partner with Aero Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports and Chevrolet. Next season, the team will become Aero McLaren Schmidt-Peterson and switch from Honda to Chevrolet. And for those wondering what this means for Robert Wickens' future once he's ready to get back into a race car, McLaren CEO Zach Brown confirmed that SPM's promised Wickens still remains. James Hinchcliffe, Honda's poster boy for their brand, posted a statement on Twitter which included this quote, It is rather unfortunate what this means for our relationship with Honda. They are another company that has done so much for me and when the time is right, a discussion to what that means for my partnership with them and Honda Canada will need to occur, but that is secondary right now to this exciting news. I've worked with General Motors in the past and look forward to rekindling their relationship in 2020. I'm not totally sold that Hinchcliffe will be with McLaren Aero SPM next season. Yes, he's still under contract with them until after the 2020 season, but I can't see Hinch parting ways with Honda. He's been such a huge promoter for Honda, and with him being IndyCar's most popular driver, I can't see Honda just letting him go so easily like that. There were rumors that people from Hinchcliffe's camp were talking with other Honda teams in the paddock at Mid-Ohio about a potential ride in the future. However, it was unclear of what teams they spoke to. 
With Hinchcliffe's future at Arrow SPM unclear, we have to talk about his potential options if he decides to leave the team. One team I see as his best case scenario is to join Graham Rahal and Takuma Sato at Rahal, Letterman, Lanigan Racing. With team owner Bobby Rahal stating the team is close to having a fully funded third car, a duo of Graham Rahal and James Hinchcliffe for the next 10 years sounds pretty great to me. With Hinchcliffe being 29 and Rahal 30, they'd have the next decade to run competitively and compete for championships. With Sato not growing any younger, Rahal Letterman Lanigan can add Hinchcliffe, keep Rahal, and bring in a young up-and-coming star like they want to do, and have a stable future for the next decade plus. Another option for Hinchcliffe to consider is Dale Coyne Racing. Sebastian Bourdais still has a couple years left on his contract, but rookie Santino Ferrucci's situation is still up in the air. I feel Ferrucci's job is safe, however, since he's ran so well the entire season and turned a lot of heads, let alone being the Indy 500 Rookie of the Year. And then a little tidbit of an earlier story before the official partnership was reached, McLaren is expected to pursue Colton Herta. There were numerous rumors of team owner Sam Schmidt having interest in Colton Herta, but this past week Sam Schmidt confirmed those rumors saying he's very interested in adding Colton Herta and said, in quote, Right now we have another year on James Hinchcliffe's contract. Marcus Erickson has said numerous times he wants to come back to our team. Right now, we are vetting that out fully to see where that stands for now because we aren't running more than two cars next year. Schmidt also said, right now, from what I've heard, they, Harding Steinbrenner Racing, have options on Colton, and Mike Harding is going to do everything he can to keep him in the seat. There is lots of speculation there. NBC Sports also reported that team owner Michael Andretti is also involved because he owns part of Herta's contract and uses Harding Steinbrenner Racing as a partnership team in IndyCar. It's also important to mention that Colton Herta is getting a large amount of interest from Formula One teams as well. There's so many variables that could happen with this. Lack of sponsorship has been the Achilles heel with Herta and Steinbrenner Racing. But if they're able to find a solid long-term sponsor, Herta could stay with the team. If there's a great opportunity in Formula One with a higher tier team, Herta might find himself in Europe next season. The big key is what Aero SPM does in terms of engine manufacturer and driver lineup. James Hinchcliffe and Honda are basically a package deal in my opinion, so with Aero Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports deciding to switch to Chevrolet, Hinchcliffe just might become a hot commodity. Teammate Marcus Erickson's career is up in the air, and he might be out the door depending on key decisions out of his control. However, a big side note that needs to be discussed, Racing Insider Jim Aiello mentioned in an article that Colton Herta is closing in on a deal to field a fifth full-time car for Andretti Autosport. COO Rod Edwards would not confirm that deal was done, however he did mention that keeping Herta was their top priority. In quote, we're continuing to work to make that happen, but nothing is done with him. A fifth car has always been in the realm of possibility if it was for Colton. Jim Aiello continued to drop bombs in this article, mentioning that according to multiple sources, Aero McLaren Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport has zeroed in on rookie Patricio Award, the 2018 Indy Lights champion. It's definitely a lot to digest with this entire story, and with it still being extremely early, there's so much that can and will pop up and develop as the season comes to a close in the next two months. So I'll definitely try to keep you guys as tuned in with the latest IndyCar news as possible as it continues to come out. And that about wraps it up with all the IndyCar news you could possibly want. I know it's a lot to try and think about and, you know, try to analyze all in one sitting, but hopefully you guys didn't get too bored and weren't too confused with all the McLaren news, possible Hinchcliffe uh, news, Colton Herta, everything is just a mess right now in IndyCar, but it'll start to come to fruition more as the year moves on 
into the offseason. Next week, the NTT IndyCar Series heads to the tricky triangle in Pocono, where chaos can ensue at any moment. With three races left before the season finale in Laguna Seca, every position for the championship contenders is crucial. Will Alexander Rossi repeat last year's dominating performance to take over the points lead, or will Joseph Newgarden rebound from his costly mistake at Mid-Ohio to strengthen his grip on a second title? Make sure to tune in to the ABC Supply 500 at Pocono Raceway on Sunday, August 18th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on NBCSN. Ooh, I almost forgot about story time from Mid-Ohio. I mean, how could I not? I've just been kind of taken back with all this McLaren news, where is Hinchcliffe going, all this other fun stuff. But anyway, let's start off with uh, Friday at Mid-Ohio. My dad and I, we left at around 4, 4.30 in the morning, because it'd be about a six-hour drive-ish around that. It was a fun drive, didn't take too long. Then when we got there, got our credentials, I felt pretty important because they gave us like a hard card type of thing for the pit and paddock pass. So I'm like, all right, I am set to go. So I'm just walking around the uh, garage area. They're just about to get ready to go out for first practice. And then bam, who do I see? Connor Daly. Got to talk to Connor Daly a little bit. He told me, you know, he's getting pretty close with um, with a sponsorship for a full-time ride next year, which since that conversation was held, Daly did get a ride with Andretti Autosport for the season finale at Laguna Seca in the U.S. Air Force car, so that's great for him. Hopefully he puts on a good performance at Laguna Seca, and maybe that'll continue to advance talks for a full-time ride in 2020. So that was pretty cool to talk with Connor Daly a little bit, talk about, you know, gaming, all that other fun stuff that he does when he's not at the racetrack. But basically, after watching practice for a bit, um, in the in the turn five area, in the general admission where you can sit, that was pretty awesome. I will, you know, I, I've never seen a race or any kind of practice that close up before, so that was pretty cool to watch. And then afterwards... I uh, got a bunch of autographs. It was fun to do that, meet some drivers. The autograph session was that Friday as well. And while we were standing in the autograph line, all of a sudden this uh, one lady, this older lady, she was talking to us just about, you know, since she's been to Mid-Ohio so many times. And she told the story of how she got to see Graham Rahal and Marco Andretti as, you know, little kids of like five, six-year-olds just, you know, running their bikes around Mid-Ohio and just wreaking havoc on every single team and pranksters and then apparently it took Dario Franchitti and a bunch of other drivers to corner them basically and say y'all need to stop <laughs> so that was interesting to uh, listen to her stories you know all the races she's been to she even did mention about uh, uh when nobody was looking Ray Hall and Marco would uh, try and get on the track get onto the track with uh, their bikes which they were successful a couple times but they had to get wrangled up so that was kind of interesting to hear her story and uh she now has a behind the catch fence business card because she wanted one so that was pretty cool and then uh, i ended up giving santino ferrucci a business card about this podcast so you know he even said i'm gonna i'm gonna call you out on it santino he even said you might have to call in sometime so i'm waiting for that call brother <laughs> just saying but yes i am saying good things about you santino i know you asked about it i am saying a lot of good things about you just listen to my last episode episode nine from iowa you know, it gave you a lot of praise, so this little pitch, you know, you can call in anytime. I'll, you know, I'll even, I'll even leave class in the middle at Liberty University just to go, go to the uh, studio at, at 90.9 The Light and record an episode with you as a call-in. You never heard that, Mom and Dad, just saying. But yeah, Friday, you know, I had two practice sessions. Uh, I got to meet a lot of drivers, got to talk with uh, Joseph Newgarden, Will Power, uh, Simon Pagano. It was a funny uh, little conversation with Pagano during a Team Penske autograph session later in the day. 
I go up to Simon and I go, you know, how's the car feel this weekend so far? Obviously, you've gone through two practice sessions. What do you feel the team needs to uh, fix with the car, if anything, left? And then Simon decides to respond with a quick little wink and goes, it's damn good, man. (laughs) Really damn good. So Simon had a lot of confidence going into mid-Ohio. That was pretty cool to have that little interaction with Simon. And then Saturday comes rolling along. And I got to talk with uh, the great racing insider Jim Aiello for the Indy Star and USA Today Sports. Uh, Even though he is moving on to uh, the Indianapolis Colts to cover the Colts for the entire season, I wish him well, and it was awesome to talk to you for a couple minutes, get your input on uh, just being a reporter, how he got to where he is today, and just, you know, overall career advice. I really appreciate that, Jim, and uh, and I hope our paths cross in the future, man. But Saturday, obviously, got a lot more autographs, and then going into Sunday, I eventually, I got about a uh, IndyCar sign at the IndyCar store earlier on Friday, and by Sunday, I had gotten every single driver on that on that sign to sign it, so that was pretty cool to bring home to. I might even just take it to the dorm, still don't know yet, but... I still can't believe how great uh, the fans have it in IndyCar. Just the amount of fan access and just you can have a small little conversation with any IndyCar driver in the paddock. And it's overall just an amazing experience. Any sports fan would love it. You know, just how close you can get to the cars, get some amazing pictures. Also, shout out to my dad for taking some amazing pictures that I could post on my Instagram and say that they were mine. I really appreciate that, even though you don't get any credit. I will give you some credit on this podcast. My dad, Brad Hoffman, is one of the best photographers out there, in my opinion. And if you give him a great camera, you're going to get some quality pictures. I'm just saying. You know, a little shout out to my dad. But that about does it for this week's episode of Behind the Catch Fence. Before I go, make sure to follow this podcast on Twitter at Behind Catch and Instagram at Behind underscore the underscore catch underscore fence. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you guys later.